0: together our Lord we really are grateful for your word we're grateful that you would even make yourself known to us through your word and so we do pray that as we consider your word this morning that you would help us to know you better and you would help us to draw nearer to you in knowing you better that in drawing nearer to you that we would understand ourselves better And God, as we see ourselves and see our sin, I pray that you would help us to be pointed to the Savior, who is the the salvation that we need, and the one who is able to provide it for us. And so we pray, Lord, as we look at your word, would you open up our eyes to be able to see the things that we cannot, open up our ears to hear the things that we need to hear, transform our lives from the inside out, Father. We need you to help in every single way, so would you do that for us, even this morning? It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So a few years ago, I was introduced to this idea uh, that maybe I've heard before, but I had never considered before. Now, it's not an idea that's very profound in any way. When you hear it, it sort of seems even obvious. But the more and more that I started thinking about this idea, the more and more I realized how true it really is. And that idea is this, that what we do, what we do stems from what we believe. What we do stems from what we believe. In other words, our actions stem from our beliefs, right? So what we do or what we don't do stem from what we believe and what we don't believe. And I mean in everything in life, right? Even like everyday things, like your car that you're driving right now. The car that you're driving right now stems from your beliefs right about what the purpose of a car is and and what a car is supposed to do for you and so on and so forth and so even something like the car you chose to drive stems from what you believe about cars or maybe even more controversial things like uh, vaccination and kids right so whether or not you vaccinate your kids or not it stems from what you believe about vaccinations and and how it affects your children right everything in this world is not void of some sort of fundamental belief about that thing. Now, why is that important for us to know? Well, I think there's many reasons why it's important for us to know, but one in particular that I want us to look at this morning. That's this, right? If our actions actually do stem from our beliefs, then when we're trying to deal with our actions, we shouldn't really deal with our actions, we should be dealing with our beliefs. Let me try to make that uh, more clear to you, right? So here's an example. My daughter, somewhere along the way, she's five years old. Somewhere along the way, she became deathly afraid of dogs. I don't know what it is, but the moment that a dog comes up to her, she will literally just start screaming on the top of her lungs. Now, when she does that, I have sort of two ways that I can respond to my daughter's reaction to a dog, right? The first way that I can respond is probably trying to deal with her actions so right? so when a dog comes up to her and she starts screaming i can maybe take her and say whoa, whoa 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 calm down calm down stop screaming stop screaming right and we probably all have done that some sort of thing before right we're trying to tell them you're screaming you need to stop screaming what are we doing we're dealing with their actions right another way that we can deal with it is trying to deal with their beliefs right so say a dog comes up right what i can do is i can take asha I could turn her around, maybe protect her from the dog and say, hey, listen, why are you scared? What are you scared about? Right? Why? Because I'm trying to get from her what it is that's really freaking her out. Right? And so when she tells me, listen, the dog's coming near me and is is sniffing me, I can say, no, 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 no. Listen, the dog is sniffing you because he just wants to say hello. He's not trying to bite you. That's how he talks to you. And the hope is that as he starts, as she starts hearing that, and understanding what it is that she believes, maybe her beliefs will start to change so that her behavior will start to change, right? Because here's the thing. There's nothing that Asha is doing that's just random, right? She's not just doing things kind of thoughtlessly or mindlessly. There's some level of belief behind everything that she does. And so if I really want to deal with her fear of dogs... What I need to be doing is dealing with her belief concerning dogs, not just her, her actions when she's near a dog. Does that make sense? Seems pretty logical, right? Well, I think that, that truth is especially going to be helpful for us as we consider this passage of Scripture this morning. Because, you see, this passage of Scripture deals with the topic of prayer, right? Now, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, I imagine that at some point in your life you said something like, you know, praying is really difficult for me. Right? I kind of just struggle with prayer. I mean, it's such a common sentiment that I think it's the reason why we're so drawn to people who do well with prayer. Right? When we meet somebody and they, we talk to them and say, you know what, I'm, I, prayer is something that I just do well at, I grow at, I'm growing at. And when we hear that, we're sort of drawn to them because we know what it looks like to struggle with prayer. Here's the thing. When we do struggle with prayer, there's a number of ways that we try to respond. Like so for some of us, When we struggle with prayer, we'll do something like we'll put a reminder on our cell phone, right? So that at some point throughout the day, an alarm will pop up and say, hey, you should pray now, right? And so what we'll do is we'll maybe pause at that moment, and we'll take some time to pray. Or other people will do something like, you know, uh, an acronym will help you out, right? So some of us will think of something like ACTS. Have you guys heard that before, like adoration, confession, thanksgiving, uh, supplication, right? So we'll think of something like that, and we'll say, you know what? Uh, I struggle with prayer and this gives me some kind of structure when I pray. Or maybe other people will say, you know what, what I really need is accountability. So maybe for some of you in in your soul care groups, and these smaller groups that we gather at at 7 Mile Road, maybe you'll tell somebody and say, you know what, I really struggle with prayer. Would you ask me if I'm praying? Would you check up on me and see how I'm doing? You see, all of those things are really good things and could be really helpful to you, but you see what it's ultimately doing, Right? It's dealing with your actions. You see, you're you're primarily trying to get better at prayer by dealing with your behavior, but it's not at all addressing what you believe about prayer. Because here's the thing, right? And just like the case with my daughter and the dog, if you really want to deal with why it is that you struggle with prayer, you can't just deal with your action concerning prayer. What do you have to deal with? What? your belief concerning prayer. you got to deal with what it is that you actually believe about prayer. And so that's our hope for this morning. We want to take a look at this passage in Colossians, and we want to consider what does this have to do with us in terms of what we believe about prayer. If you're sitting here this morning and you struggle with prayer in any way, then I think it's good for us to consider this passage in Colossians. But I want to give you a fair warning, right? This passage won't give you strategies or any type of tips as to how to get better in your prayer life. No, instead, what we see in this passage is that this passage itself is a prayer. It's the prayer of a man named Paul, who is an apostle of Jesus. And he's praying for this church that he loves uh, in this place called Colossae. And so what I think what we'll do is, when we look at this passage, I think it'll help us to see that in our prayer life, whether our prayer life is good or bad, it'll help us to see, see what it is that we actually believe. Right? It'll help us to see that if your prayer life is good or bad, it stems from what you believe. And I want to say, specifically, it stems from what you believe about God and about yourself. You see, your prayer life, whether good and bad, good or bad, it stems from what you believe about God and what you believe about yourself. And so our game plan for this morning is, is to consider sort of four things. We want to consider the when, the what, the why, and the who concerning prayer. Because when you pray, and what you pray, and why you pray, and to whom you pray, will reveal to you what it is that you believe about God, and what it is that you believe about yourself. Make sense? So let's do that. So let's take a look at the passage this morning. We're going to start at... Verse 9, this is the first half of verse 9, this is what Paul says. He says, and so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Okay, we'll take a look at just that part. Now, if we take a look at that first, those first two words, and so, those first two words could probably more literally be translated into, and for this reason, okay? And so what Paul is saying here is, and for this reason, from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And so the question that we should be asking ourselves immediately is, for what reason, right? What is this reason that Paul is talking about? Well, if you were here last week, you remember that Pastor Jay was here and he was telling us a little bit about this church of Colossae. He said that this is sort of a, a, a young church, a baby church, sort of like our church, just a, a few years off the ground, right? And that it was a church that Paul himself didn't plant, Right? What we read in the scripture is that Paul was going all over the place and planting or starting churches. Well, this church wasn't a church that he actually planted himself. Instead, a man named Epaphras was the one who planted this church. Well, I think what was going on here is Epaphras is telling Paul sort of a report of what's going on at Colossae. They're talking to each other and they're informing each other about what's going on, and he's giving them a report of what life has been like at Colossae. What we heard about Colossae last week was that it was known for a bunch of different things. First, it was known for its faith in Christ, right? We said that the church of Colossi was known for its faith in Christ. The second thing was that they were known for their love for one another. The third thing was that they were known for their hope in heaven, right? In other words, this was a, a healthy, wonderful church, right? Not a perfect church by any means, but a church that's in a good season of life. And that's why this first statement by Paul here is so fascinating. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying, for this reason, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. you. So Paul hears this wonderful report from Epaphras about Colossae, and from day one, he doesn't stop praying for them. Think about that for a moment. Now, if you're here and you're a Christian, maybe you'll understand what I'm about to say, right? Uh, you know, when we get together to pray sometimes, we'll uh, sometimes use language like this. We'll say, you know what, hey, I just want to pray about something. I actually have one prayer request and one praise, right? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? So praise, uh, prayer request is something that you need in life, and so you're asking, hey, would you pray for this for me? Uh, but praise is we're usually referring to something that's going well in your life. And so you want to share it with one another, and you want to ask them to pray with you thanking God. And so what do we do? We get together and we pray, thanking God for something that is going well or has gone well for them. But what do we usually do? We will usually pray for someone who's telling you a praise prayer one time, right? We'll pray for that thing one time, and then we'll take that prayer and sort of file it in a cabinet, never to really pray for it again. Why is that? Because you and I, usually, the type of prayers that we persevere in are for the people that are in need. Does that make sense? The ones that we kind of labor in and, and constantly pray for over and over again are for the ones that, who are actually in need. So like when somebody tells you that they're sick, right? Or somebody's struggling with something or, or not doing well with something, those are the types of people that we will persevere in. So this is what I think. I think that our pattern of when we pray tells us something about what we believe about God. I think that when we pray like that, it shows that maybe we believe that God is sort of more like a a fire department, right? Uh, Why is it that we call fire departments? Why do we call a fire department? What's that? It's not a hard question. (laughs) Why do we call a fire department? When there's a fire, right? When, when there's a fire, your house is burning down, that's when you'll call the fire department. Now imagine that tonight, and for the next several nights, I go home, and I'm about to go into bed, and I pull out my uh, cell phone, and I call the fire department, and I say, hey, listen, guys, I just want to say, another good day, right? <laughs> no fire here, things are going great, I just want to thank you guys for all the good work that you're doing, uh, I'll call you again tomorrow <laughs> night, right? at some point i think the fire department maybe in the beginning they'll say hey, hey that's that's kind of cute that's kind of you know that's great that he did that but at some point they would say stop calling us right stop calling us cuz that's not why we're here right i mean preventing fires is your responsibility putting out fires is ours so call us when you have a fire well i think that if we were to be honest that's sort of somehow how we sort of uh, approach god as well you know sure sure we'll pray when things are going well, but we'll really pray. We'll persevere in prayer when we're seeing the flames, right? When we need God to come and to rescue us. But you see, I think what Paul is confronting here is something significant about what it is that we believe, right? The question is, when do we need God? When do we need God? Brothers and sisters, I think... The answer is maybe obvious, but we need God all the time, right? Uh, there is uh, no time where we don't need God. We need God all the time. The question is, do you and I believe that? Do you, do you and I actually believe that? That there is no time where we're actually less in need of him, right? That we're not actually less in need of him in good seasons, And that we're actually more in need of him in bad seasons, but that in all seasons, good or bad, we are equally in need of God. The question is, do you and I really believe that? Because you see, we do live in a world that's filled with fires, right? Destruction that is all around us. And so when we see that our house is actually protected and there's no danger, what should we do? We should pray. We should pray, thanking God for protecting us. And then when there's a season where we feel like, you know what, the flames are getting really close and I'm really starting to feel the heat, what should we do? We should pray, asking God to protect us from the flames. And when there's season, when there is a season where when the house is actually burning up, we're actually feeling the flames, and it's, the house is starting to burn, burn down, what should we do? We should pray asking God to rescue us from the flames. And if God chooses to rescue us from the flames so that though we were once burning and being destroyed and now we're not, what should we do? We should thank God for his mercy and for his grace from protecting us and rescuing us from the flames. And if he allows the house to burn down and he decides that destruction may be a part of your story right now, what should we do? we should pray. We should ask God to help us to know that no matter what is burning down around us, no matter what is destroyed around us, He is all that we need. You see, brothers and sisters, we need the Lord all the time. There's no time where we need Him less. There's no time that we need Him more. We are equally in need of Him at all times. And when we believe that, we'll pray without ceasing, just like Paul did for Colossae. Not just in bad seasons, but we'll persevere in prayer during good seasons. So 7 Mile Road, the question that I want to ask you, maybe the question that you should be asking yourself is this. What does when you pray tell you about what you believe concerning your need for God? What does when you pray tell you about your understanding of your need for God? So Paul first helps us to understand when we pray. He moves on now to what we pray about. Let's keep reading. This is 9b. Paul says, Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Well, you see, if if 9a, the first part of a, was dealing with when we should pray, the second half of verse 9 is dealing with what we should pray about. And look at what Paul says. He says, he prays for the church of Colossae by asking God that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will, right? You See, God's will, again, is something that Christians often talk about. And I think when we do talk about God's will, we're often referring to something, some sort of decision that we have to make in the future. And we're asking God, hey, would you help me? Give me what I need, information that I need to be able to make that decision well, so we'll ask for God's will for something like, you know, uh, who should I marry? Or, or what job should I work? Or, um, you know, where should I live? Things like that. Now, the thing is, God cares about all the details of our life, right? And he really does want to help us and guide us in every single detail of our life. So we should pray for those types of things. None of those things are intrinsically bad. But you see, I think what Paul's prayer is teaching us here is not so much the content of your, of your prayer, but more of the the posture when you do pray. Because here's the thing, right? If we were being honest, our prayers tend to be more concerned with our lives and what we're doing than anything else, right? Often, a lot of what we come to God with tends to be really me-centered. We're often trying to figure out how does God sort of fit into my will, the things that I'm trying to accomplish and do in my life. Because I think, if we were to be honest, we secretly believe that we're sort, of, we're sort of at the center of our own lives, right? Let me give you an example. All of us here know that for a very long time, right, uh, people thought that the earth was at the center of the universe, right? For a very long time, right? So, sure, they knew about other planets, and they knew about the sun and the moon, Right, they knew about all those things, but they believed that all of those planets sort of revolved around us, around the Earth. In fact, in the third century, right, there was this astronomer who was observing things, and he started to notice. You know what? I really feel like it, it is actually the Sun that is at the center, that we actually are revolving around the Sun. But you see, as as people started hearing that, as people started hearing him say that, it was just so hard for anybody to fathom that, right? I mean, they couldn't imagine a world where they were just sort of off to the side somewhere, that there was something much bigger than them in the center. And so what did they do? They dismissed it, right? In fact, it wasn't actually until the 16th century when this man named Copernicus gave mathematical proof that there was something much more grand and something much more massive and something much more amazing in the center of the universe than the earth. Only then did people begin to believe? And when they did, it's almost like their perspective of the world began to change, right? How they saw the world. Well, you see, I think that we can sort of be like third century folks, right? I mean, we know Jesus. We know that he's important. But I think if we were to be honest, we still tend to believe that the world revolves around us. I think Paul's prayer here helps us to put things into perspective. In fact, when we go down about six verses, Paul starts saying these glorious statements about Christ, right? When you read it, he starts saying stuff like, you know what? Everything in this world was created by Jesus, and everything in this world was created through Jesus, and everything in this world was created for Jesus. Everything exists for him. He says essentially that there's only one who is in the center of the universe and it's not you and me, it's actually Jesus. You see, when you and I begin to believe that truth, I think what it'll do is it'll start changing the posture that we come to God with when we pray. I think what it'll do is our prayers will shift from being centered around us and we'll start wanting to be more and more centered around him. Because why? because we'll remember that we were actually created by Him and through Him and for Him and that we actually exist for Him and that He doesn't necessarily exist for us. We were created by Him and for Him and through Him and what it will do is it will change our posture of how we come to the Lord so that when we start praying, we'll say, Lord, teach me Your will. Teach me Your will so that my life would point to You. Not so that I can get more of me, not so that I can figure out the details of what I want to do, but my life would point to you, and then my life would center around you. Why? Because Jesus created all things. Everything was created through him, and everything exists for him. And So what is Paul saying here? He's saying, listen, Colossian Church, you know Jesus, and we praise God for that. But my prayer for you is this that you would continually be filled with the knowledge of his will. And what is God's will? That you would believe that Jesus is central in all things. And that because that is true, that you would desire for your life to be shaped around his. That every plan, every thought, every decision, that things like who you should marry and where you should work and and where you should live, everything that you pray about, all of it, would be shaped by the glorious truth of the centrality of Christ. And look at what Paul says happens when you begin believing this truth, that Jesus is central to all things. He says, you'll start walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, I think there's a lot that we could say about those verses, but I just want to remind us of one thing. I think what it does is that it re-emphasizes for us That God's will isn't just about getting necessary information so that we can make important decisions. No, instead, God's will points you to a person. God's will points you to a person, not just information. It points you to Jesus Christ. Look again at verse 9 and 10. You see, knowing God's will will lead you to know Jesus more deeply. Knowing Jesus more deeply will lead you to want to please him, not yourself. Wanting to please him will lead you to bear fruit through obeying him so that people will be drawn to him. And as you bear fruit through obedience, you will continually grow in your knowledge of him. You grow stronger to him by wanting to be all about him. So several mile road, what you believe about God will determine what you pray for. And Paul is saying this, regardless of what it is that you're praying for, this is what you need to believe. That Jesus is at the center of the universe and not you. And so God's will for our life is that our life would center around his life. So some of my road the question that maybe you need to be asking yourself is this. What do your prayers tell you about who's at the center of the universe? The way that you pray What you pray about, the posture in your prayer, what does it tell you about who is at the center of the universe? So now we move from what to the question of why, and we'll look at verse 11. Paul says this, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. What's Paul saying here? I think he's saying this. You see, as you and I attempt to try to live according to God's will, We'll take a few different approaches in trying to do that, right? One pastor explained it this way, and I think it was really helpful for me to be able to understand this better. He said this. He said, for some of us, as we seek to try to live according to God's will, it's sort of like, for some of us, it's like being in a rowboat in the middle of an ocean, right? So if we're in a rowboat in the middle of the ocean, at that point, you are rowing and you are rowing, and you keep on rowing, and it's all about your effort, right? You'll put all the strength that you possibly have into rowing this boat. You will row for as long as you can, as far as hard as you can, and at some point, maybe you'll make some progress, maybe you don't, but before long, you're exhausted and overwhelmed, and it ultimately takes you nowhere. Because you see, for some people, when they seek to do God's will, it's all about them, It's all about their effort. It's all about what they're able to do in that moment. So for some people, it's like rowing a rowboat in the middle of the ocean. But he says, for other people, it's sort of like being in a raft in the middle of the ocean, right? So if you're in a raft in the middle of the ocean, some people kind of take it like this. I'm trying to do God's will. I'm in a raft in the middle of the ocean. Basically, I'm going to let this water sort of dictate where I go, or I hope that the wind blows hard enough right, that it maybe made me take me to where I'm looking to go, but they're sort of just chilling, right, they're just in the boat, they're not doing anything, they want to do God's will, but they're hoping that God will do something for them to, God, to accomplish God's will, right, it's sort of the opposite of the rowboat analogy, right, the rowboat, it's all about you, you're working hard, you're pumping, trying to make this boat move to get you to where God wants you to be, and in the raft, you're saying, God has a will for me, and he'll accomplish it, so I'm just going to sit back and let it happen right? And we're saying neither of those examples is what it's like. But you see, in in fact, living according to God's will is actually more like uh, being in a sailboat, right? Now, I've never been in a sailboat before, but I have YouTube and Google, right? And so I looked it up to see what does it take to to, uh, sail a boat. And so, you know, when, when you're sailing a boat, there's all sorts of things that a person needs to do, right? They need to check the lines, They need to figure out the the direction of the wind, where it's coming from. At the perfect time, you need to lift up the sail. You need to kind of direct the, uh, the boat by steering it. There's tons of work and knowledge that's needed to be able to use a sailboat. And yet, if there is no wind, none of it matters, right? You're not going anywhere. I mean, you can work as hard as you want and know as much as you know about the boat, But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter, because you are dependent on that wind. It's not just your work. It's the power of this invisible, uncontrollable wind that you are depending on. And I think that's what Paul is trying to teach here. You see, it's not just enough for us to know God's will. You need to live according to it. But to live according to God's will, you need God's power. And brothers and sisters, That's why we pray. We want to live according to God's will. But we can't live according to God's will on our own. We need his power to enable us to live according to his prayer, uh, to his will. And that's why we pray. You see, we pray for God's will. That every thought and every feeling and every decision would center around Jesus. And that's right. But what we do know is that we live in a world where our own sins, right, are, are, are raging against us. There's the temptations of the world, the opposition of the world. There's the enemy who's seeking to destroy us so that no matter how much you want to live according to God's will, it's made you incapable of doing that on your own. Instead, you're utterly in need of God's strength, His power. And that's why we need to pray that He would, in fact, give us what we need to do His will. Because here's the thing. Do you know what that power is like Listen to what Paul says and how he describes this power. This is Ephesians chapter 1. He says, That you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Hear that, right? Paul's saying that the same power that God used to raise Christ Jesus from the dead is the one that he gives to us who believe. Resurrection power. Consider that for a moment, right? If that power was sufficient enough to allow Jesus to overcome the sin of the world so that he would no longer be in the grave, and it will surely be sufficient for us to help us in our own trials and oppositions and the sin that we find within us, right? God's power is sufficient. It's the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. He gives to you so that when you desire to do God's will, why would you do it on your own? God's power is available to you. Wonderful power. In fact, Paul says that this power is so complete and unlimited that it will help you to have endurance and patience. Right? So these two words are sort of similar, right? But the the distinction between the, uh, the, the two words is notable. You see, the word endurance here refers to the type of strength that you need to be able to get up under and carry the weight that you're going through, right? So when you're going through a struggle, he gives you endurance saying, no matter how difficult what you're going through is, my power is sufficient so that you can get up under that, that weight and carry it. But you see, the word patience here is dealing with something different. Whereas endurance is talking about the intensity of that uh, that. That struggle that you're going through, patience is saying, no matter how long you go under, or how long it takes for you to deal with this struggle, I will give you what you need. My power is sufficient. So, in other words, whereas endurance deals with the intensity of your struggle, patience deals with the longevity of your struggle. And what Paul's saying here is this that the resurrection power of God will help you to deal in both ways. No matter how heavy it is, no matter how long it takes, his resurrection power is sufficient for you. And so, brothers and sisters, that's why we need to pray. Because in order for us to live according to God's will, we need help. You're called to obey, but you can't obey on our own. But thankfully, God has given us his resurrection power to help us Fight against the sin and the trial and the opposition and the enemy who seeks to destroy. And his power will help you to endure with patience. And so what that means is that if you're sitting here this morning and you're trying to seek out God's will for a broken marriage, I would encourage you to pray for resurrection power because you can't do it on your own. What that means is that if you're sitting here this morning and you're struggling with an addiction, whatever that might be, and you're seeking for God's will, I want to encourage you to pray for resurrection power because you can't do it on your own. And what that means is that if you're sitting here this morning and you're trying to figure out how to parent a child or what to do with the singleness in your life that you're struggling with, what God is saying is pray for resurrection power because you can't do it on your own. So my road, the way that you seek to live out God's will, does it show you that you're sort of on a rowboat in the ocean? Or maybe you're on a raft in the ocean? Or does it say that you're on a sail in the ocean? That you're seeking to be obedient. You're knowing what you need to know. You're trying to do what you need to do but ultimately you say, I can't do any of this on my own. I need resurrection power to do it for me. Brothers and sisters, that's why we pray, because we need resurrection power. You know, as we wrap up, I think it's wonderful for us to consider how Paul ends this section. Listen to verse 12. This is what he says. He says, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You know, maybe there's nothing greater that we need to consider or to believe about prayer than who it is that we're praying to. Brothers and sisters, we don't have to pray. Uh, We get to pray. We get to pray to the one who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We get to pray to the one who has taken us from darkness and put us into the light. We get to pray to the one where when we were broken and destroyed, dead in our sins and trespasses, brought us back to life and redeemed us in every way. We get to pray to the one when you're sitting in these chairs and you're feeling overwhelmed by the sin in your life who says there is therefore no no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the one who has forgiven you in every way, you get to pray to that God. You see, you get to pray to the one who you have no business even talking to. But because of Jesus, we have been made qualified and can now freely come to him. And so with joy and with thanksgiving, we get to pray. So I my Paul doesn't give us tips and strategies in prayer. Instead, he reminds us of what it is that we need to remember and believe about God and ourselves so that we may pray. And this is what we need to believe. When do we pray? We pray all the time. Because we equally need the Lord in all seasons, in good seasons and in bad seasons. There's never a season where you're not in need of the Lord. What do we pray? We pray for God's will. We pray for God's will, remembering that Jesus is at the center of the universe and of my life, and not vice versa. And why do I pray? Because to live according to God's will, I can't do it on my own. But praise be to God that he has given me resurrection power so that I can obey. And to whom do I pray? To the one who has done everything for me, who has taken me from darkness to light who has redeemed me, and who has forgiven me of my sins. And so let's pray together that God would help us to genuinely believe these truths so that we may be known as a people who delight in prayer. May God help us. Let's pray. Our Lord, we, we really are grateful that you allow us to come to you. We're grateful that you care for our needs. Who are we that you should even care? But you do. And you provide for us in every single way. And you invite us to come. Help us to believe that we are equally in need of you at all times and in all seasons. Help us to know that, that we can't do these things on our own, but rather we need resurrection power to be able to accomplish your will. And help us to know that your will is what's best for us. It is right for us to believe and to live according to the truth that Jesus is central to the.